Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any organization or person that I may be affiliated with. Folks, uh, our focus today is going to be on uh, value-based leadership in healthcare, and I think we're going to really touch upon some of the challenges uh, today facing leaders in healthcare, particularly around the shift to value-based healthcare. Uh, but the truth is, I am uh, I'm so delighted to speak with our guest today, and quite honestly, I'm happy to speak with him on whatever topic he thinks is important. So we are incredibly fortunate to have a guest on our show, Dr. Jeff Thompson. Dr. Thompson is currently the Executive Advisor and Chief Executive Officer Emeritus at Gunderson Health System. Dr. Thompson is a pediatric intensivist and neonatologist. He served as Gunderson's CEO from 2001 to 2016 and also served on its board for many, many years. During his tenure, he led Gunderson's nationally recognized initiatives for patient care, quality improvement, and sustainability, and also played a key role in the organization's focus on their local communities. Uh, Gunderson Health System is a nonprofit, comprehensive, integrated healthcare network with over 800 clinicians. It's headquartered in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, Gunderson has uh, over 7,000 employees serving uh, 19 counties in western Wisconsin, southeastern Minnesota, and northeastern Iowa. It's uh, it's one of HealthGrades America's 50 best hospitals. Um, they have tremendous programs like their environmental stewardship program, end-of-life program, healthy eating programs all of which that have been highlighted nationally and uh, used across the country in other healthcare systems. In addition to his work at Gunderson Health System, Dr. Thompson is a founding member and member and past board chair of both the Wisconsin Collaborative for Healthcare Quality and the About Health TM Network. He's also a White House champion of change. Uh, Dr. Thompson is the author of a value-based leadership book entitled Lead True, which he just published uh, this past year in 2017. He has authored and been featured in many articles, books, chapters, and abstracts on healthcare, leadership, and sustainability. It's uh, my great pleasure to have you on the uh, podcast today. How are you doing, Dr. Thompson? Well, Zev, thanks for the invitation. I'm uh, uh, terrific. It's a beautiful day in Wisconsin. I happen to be in Wisconsin uh, right now, so it's uh, lovely, and I'm uh, happy to uh, have an opportunity to chat about the many things going on in healthcare and try and help people find a way forward. Well, you know, I just want to say I I, um, I, I did have a chance to to uh, read through uh, parts of your book, and um, I, I, um, I have to say, very very touching. Um, I think you you reach me on very many levels. I, I and I also just want to share with the listeners. Um, you have a, 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 a comment on your book um, by Marshall Goldsmith. It's actually, you put it on the cover. And, and for, for folks who don't know, Marshall Goldsmith is Goldsmith is just an internationally recognized writer, speaker on leadership. And um, this is this is what he says about about your book. He says, uh, and you, um, and I think this is so true. He says, Jeff Thompson teaches us that the most effective leadership is not about leading for the benefit of the organization, but for the benefit of the benefit of the world itself. And um, I, I just, um, I think that kind of transcendent focus on leadership is, is 
what you possess and what you're trying to get across. And so I just want to say on a very, very personal level, I really appreciate that, that perspective that you're bringing to leadership in healthcare. Well, thanks. I, I think we, we can talk about it later, but I think it's one of, if you look at uh, where healthcare needs to go, I think it's one of the key pieces to think about is how do we develop the next generation of leaders that are, are willing to place a consistent value set out in the, out, out in the public, out and say, here's what we stand for. Here's what we're about. And then actually lead consistent with those values, uh, through easy times and hard times. There's always going to be hard times. Um, it, it is important for our staff to, to, to be able to live up to their full potential for us to connect with partners in the community. If we have a consistent set of values, that are outward facing and and willing to serve the greater good. So I'm that it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I, I felt there's lots of books on strategy that are really quite good and growth that are really interesting and and capable, um, uh, but not as much uh, discussing how how do you how do you function in this crucible of of decision making when it's really the values on the line. And I I pulled stories as you know from mm-hmm. out outside of Healthcare across uh, across uh, business and education, uh, politics. Uh, so a variety of different stories to say. Here's how real people in very difficult situations have dealt with these um, values decisions. Not necessarily values based finances, but this is this is true. Um, how how are you going to live? What are you going to stand for? How are you going to believe? And and my contention is that's one of the keys that we need to raise up in healthcare to improve our performance and become better community partners. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and Jeff, I I, I want to um, I'm going to sort of uh, let's, I want to I want to do it this way. Um, so so what's really unique about this particular conversation, as, as I'm you know speaking with you and interviewing you, is that um, so I've been a a leader uh, in healthcare for uh, at least a decade, if not more, and um, in various roles, um, you know, right in, in the belly of the beast, so to speak, and in hospital systems and ambulatory systems. And so I'm, I'm going to almost approach this from a counseling session type of thing um, because, because I'm in it and I'm, I'm, this is a very, very meaningful and important and very, very real and practical conversation for me. And I, I'm hoping for, for many of the listeners as well. So, so I'm just going to, I'm giving you that sort of mindset that I'm approaching this conversation. And before we get into it, I'd like to, um, you know, before we just start to talk about the leadership and, the, and, and, and the challenges, I, I guess what I'm wondering about actually along those lines is leadership is so dependent on the historic context that it sits in, right? And and there are different leaders for different times in history. And I, I I would love for you to share some of the stories you pulled, both from healthcare and outside of healthcare. But before we get into that, what 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 is the moment in history, uh, the historic moment in healthcare that we're in now? What are some of the where do we sit and in, in in that in that continuum of uh, history? And what are the big challenges and dilemmas of our time that really sort of shape the leadership today? I think that's a, that's, that's a great question because the, we are always evolving, but, but 
as a leader or a rising leader in a, in a healthcare organization or any kind of business, it's important to take a look around and say, what have we learned? Where we're coming? What's it going to look like in three and five and, and 10 years? And, and learn from the best and adapt, uh, to the changes that, uh, you will not necessarily be able to, uh, control. I think, uh, of course, one of the biggest influences right now is the availability of information. We have more information than we've ever had before on outcomes, on service, on our finances. Using that information is going to, is going to separate, uh, super high performers from the rest of the pack. Those who figure out how to make all that data into actionable information and then take actions. So there's several steps there. You have to, you have to have all the data and then you have to, have to make it usable. And then you have to actually follow through on it in a consistent fashion. If you want to compete for the brightest and best next generation to build your organization, the most innovative, you're going to need to have an environment that, that they look to and say, wow, they're, they're taking our modern tools. They're implementing those kinds of changes that are going to not only make the organization strong, but they're going to improve the health and well-being of the community. Um, millennials uh, get a bad rap, I think, uh, sometime. I mean, I'm obviously much older than the millennial group, um, but but they get a bad rap because as well, they you know they don't want to work as hard and they don't want day and night. Uh, they're unwilling to work twelve weekends in a row. What's the matter with these people? But but they also have looked at our generation and said, ah, uh, let me see, you put all these values on the walls, you put it on your websites, and then when the crunch hits in an economic downturn or mm-hmm. or some some tough competitive thing, then all those mm-hmm. things on the walls seem to go by the way. So mm-hmm. So I think one of the keys is going to be use that information and develop a consistent pattern forward because the next generation – wants to see not only performance, but improving the well-being of the workers in the workplace and the community at large. So that's an important transformation. Is, you know, I think you've really, you've, I think you've really hit on something here. Um, my own experience is, is very much like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm older than the millennials, but, um, that sense that there there is sort of two channels of of dialogue. There's the channel that we hear leadership uh, articulating, uh, and then there's the channel of of what I would actually say what's actually happening, what's actually going on, what's you know, and they're not always the same. And I don't know if that's just you know I've come to believe there's you know, that's just sort of reality that, you know, um, you need to, you know, there's, there's the truth you can speak and the truth that, you know, you have to live on an everyday basis. I, I struggle with that. Um, I, I, and I struggle with a lot of things. So let me, let me put this out there. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one. So I don't, I don't want to label that observation. I just want to, I want you to respond to it. So that's number one. Number two, um, well, well, actually, why don't, we, why don't we take that one first? Um, what, what do you, what's your perspective on that? And or do you see it that way? As, I mean, I'm just picking up on what you were saying in terms of what the millennials are asking for, or what, what their perspective is. 
Yes. Yeah. See, I think, um, I, I think it is not that much different than what other generations have asked for. What do other generations look for? Other generations of staff, they want, they want an, an organization they can lean into that they feel good about, that they feel they're accomplishing something. Um, you know, you want to develop a great workplace. It doesn't mean an easy workplace. It means it, 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 a great workplace can have very high standards. So a set of values that everyone's to live by. It can have, um, you, you can, um, uh, you can be really clear about how behaviors are going to happen. You can, you can set very high goals. We're not going to accept mediocrity. Uh, in healthcare, we're taking care of patients for Pete's sake. How many, how many doctors or nurses want to go to a patient and say, yes, uh, if you come here, we have, we have average, uh, occasionally below average outcomes, but you know, we're really nice. I mean, I mean, people don't say that people, that's what happens, but they don't say that. So you want to, if you want to, if you want to be competitive, if you want to, if you want to distinguish yourselves in the next generation, you say, use this information, but develop an environment. Here's, here's an example. Um, you know, it's, Tech and connection. I I know in in the book there's a story about Judy Faulkner and how she built Epic, uh, one of the more successful electronic health records uh, in the country. Um, to this day, Judy has made a commitment to connect, despite it being a tech company where everybody has you know three electronic devices and they connect on multiple platforms once a month. Everybody in that organization sits in a single spot and talks about what's going on. There is real dialogue and there's thousands of employees, but she's made it a priority. If you work there three months, five months, you have a, a second orientation. Of course, when you came, you had an orientation, but afterwards you have, you have a session, a half day session with the CEO and owner of the company where she'll present 20 minutes of here's how we got started or here's where the industry's going, something like that. And then the rest of that session, you can ask her any question you want. This is, this is, you mentioned dialogue earlier. This is dialogue, mm-hmm. right? This is dialogue. When I was at, at Gunderson, I would have Let's Talks. I'd go out to all of our regional sites. I would 10 minutes on the health of the organization, 10 minutes on healthcare in general, 40 minutes on what was important to them. And, and you might say, Oh man, I'm too busy and I don't have time for all that. But connecting personally like that makes all the rest of your electronic communication, all the rest of the things you write, all the emails you said, all the other communications so much more effective. So are we going into an age of technology? Yes, but, but we can use the technology mm-hmm. to connect, especially if we've made these other personal connections, this opening, opening up, ask me any question, those kinds of things. So it's a mm-hmm. balance of the two that together result in an informed, inspired, and innovative workforce, regardless of their generation. What do you, I'm going to come back to this topic in a second, but I, I, I want to stay for the moment at a, at a, at a more transcendent level, because again, picking up, picking up on the quote that Marshall Goldsmith had, had said of you, um, this sense of we 
we we work for obviously we work to survive and make a living we work for our teammates and and partners we work for our organization um we work obviously to serve our our patients and and customers but um but you you introduce and and marshall goldsmith picks up on this you introduce this sort of transcendent meaning of purpose that we're we're really about uh serving you know for the benefit of the world itself and and so I guess, you know, again, thinking about the moment we are in history, I think that I think we're not in a moment where there's, you know, kind of a lull. I, I think we're we're in a tumultuous. Right. And so yeah. and actually, that's what I, I, you laughed. And I want you to I want you to explain your laugh. Um, but I think in those moments that we're in now where there's really profound opportunity and it's going to happen. Change is going to happen. Inflection is going to happen. History is going to inflect itself. And for sure in healthcare, uh, in, in the, in the, in the time we have right now in the next five to 10 years, no question about it. So moments like that, I think if we were going to personify history, history asks a question of its leaders, it places a demand. And so what is the question that history is asking of our healthcare leaders today? Is there a question that comes to mind? I think one of the most important questions that comes to mind is, um, can, can healthcare in general and healthcare leaders rise out of the past tradition of just going along and getting along, taking care of sick people when they showed up at the door, <clears throat> trying to do a nice job with that, often failing, often not looking hard enough at our own mistakes? Can we transition out of that? kind of old world of view to a view of, of external focused service, not just to patients and families, but to communities, to businesses, to the government, to, to everyone. Can we, can we go from <clears throat> spending so much of our time fighting about turf and fighting, get more money from the government and all those things? Can we rise up and as we have multiple examples around the country of organizations that have done it, but can we as an industry start turning the trend to say, use this amazing um, data, use this amazing next generation of, of people that want to improve the health and well being of the world, um, connect that with the experience of the past and move towards health in the community, which means economic health, uh, social health, uh, physical health, move to health in the community um, as opposed to just waiting for sick people to show up and, and then trying to fix them. I think that is the major movement right now. This, this move um, away, if I, could, if I could try to capture it, this move away from what we were, which is uh, taking care of people, as you say, who showed up not feeling well, sick, to something to include that, but something bigger than that, which is a, a move to, I guess, moving outside of the four walls of our, of our organizations and a move uh, to, into, from, from sickness to actually to health. And so uh, the question I would have is, that's great. Thank you for that. That's really, that's enlightening, inspiring. You said that you, there are examples of that. Cause I'm wondering, so if, if history is asking that question of our leaders today, what does a leader need and need to do to answer that question? <clears throat> well, in this brilliant book that I 
read, no, I wrote it, I guess. Um, sorry. Um, the, I, I, I would argue that, that th- what we have to do is we have to, we have to fix several, several things that are, um, that leaders often come short and that I certainly didn't uh, succeed at all the time either. One is living the values. I mentioned that all those values on the walls actually live them all the time. Show people that you're going to live them when things are really hard. Uh, uh, do it nonetheless. Um, don't imagine you can only do one thing at a time. Um, you, you know, you, you ask for examples. There's Gunderson is an example that we, we uh, lowered our cost of care and improved our quality and service and reached out into the community on many of the programs that you mentioned and other things. Kaiser is a completely different model. Kaiser um, uh, Permanente, you know, is uh, built on their, their HMO model and, and they um, are reaching out in the community in big ways in many, many places. Dignity Health is another model, completely separate. It's a Catholic health organization um, who takes care of um, uh, people from all walks of life in many different uh, uh, communities. They have chosen and on multiple occasions to live their values. So it, it's not like it's just rural or it's not just urban or it's not just fee-for-service or just HMO. The, the truth is there are examples in multiple places. So one is live the values. The next is we have to change our thinking. I, I, if for the listeners, think back at major decisions made by your healthcare leaders, the business leaders in town, the politicians, what portion of them are short-term thinking decisions? What portion of them get people to the next election cycle, uh, the next quarterly finance report, um, the the next time the joint commission is going to come, something, there's short-term decision-making that happens all the time. It's usually ego-based, often self-centered, um, if you start moving it to long-term thinking, if we start judging our leaders on not what they do over the next two years, but what they do for the next five and 10 and 15 years, how are they setting up their organizations for the long-term good, for the long-term uh, stability for both their staff and the community? That's that's a whole whole different set of judgments than what happened in the last quarter, um, um, which you know I can make any quarter just about look good. I mean, you do terrible things to your organization. You make the numbers look good, but, but that's, that's not good for the staff or, or which is, if it's not good for the staff, it's not good for the community long-term. And the third thing, the third thing I would say we're missing is there's so much waste in healthcare. There's, there's, um, there's just enormous amount of waste. And, and for the people that are concerned that I'm not paying enough attention to finances. And I know in my book, I, I wrote that I believe finances should never be the goal. They should be a tool. Finances should be a tool. Um, you look at all our mission statements, almost never do our mission statements say, you know, make a certain amount of margin. With finance as a tool and not the goal, we still went from a high cost provider to a low cost provider. We, we still went through um, a big switch to Medicare and Medicaid, which took $100 million out of our budget. We went through the economic downturn. And for 14 years in a row, despite all those things going on, our fee increase was always less than the year before. Um, and, and despite all those headwinds, we put away more savings in 14 years than we had in the 114 years before that. And we did all that by taking out waste. Um, and there's, there's still a lot of waste in healthcare. So I, so I think, uh, I, living the values, sh- long-term thinking rather than short-term and eliminating waste 
And you, you start lining that up and now you'll have healthcare leaders leading a inspired group of staff heading towards the well-being of the community, which of course uh, helps you recruit and retain the best and the brightest. That's, that's great. I, uh, I, I love those three directions and, and directives in terms of either leaving, leaving the values or, well, long-term thinking in particular, I'm wondering about what, what do you think are some of the, the things we should, leaders should be thinking about in terms of long-term, um, are there, are there really hot spots, important things that should not be missed or should be focused on in terms, in terms of that larger, longer arc? Well, one of the things that I, um, that I bring up in, in uh, frequently and, and that, uh, Certainly, everyone doesn't agree with me because of of the nature of of, of the history. But and that is, um, let's let's look at our staff. We're trying to take care of our staff, and 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 we say our staff are our most important asset. And we we walk around and we write emails to them about how wonderful they are. But then, in many organizations, the first time there's a financial crunch, the staff are the first one to get deleted. Um, and you have mass layoffs, despite every study that's been done. Uh, Harvard's done it. Uh, Wharton School of Business done it. Stanford. There's many studies mm-hmm. out there that say mass layoffs almost never accomplish the financial improvement that you hope. Now, the, the stock price might bounce around a little bit, and maybe somebody will get a bonus. But if we're worrying about the health and well-being of an organization long term, the, the the data shows that you'd say, well, you know, once there's a layoff, everybody else will just hunker hunker down and work really hard and and make sure they're not in the next round. Turns out that's not the case. 70, 80 percent of the people work less hard hmm. than they did before because they're nervous and they're worried and they're stewing and they're spicing up their resume and they're interviewing and they're doing all those things. So their productivity goes down. So, so one of the things is we, we have to start deciding that when hard times come and, and they will, mm-hmm. we have to have done some work to prepare for that. And we have to still live our values because everybody's watching. If hard times comes and you fire the last 300 people you hired, but the executives still have bonuses, um, even though you know that the money that went in executive bonus isn't going to save the company. The optics are so bad and so inconsistent with the values that you're going to decrease the enthusiasm, the, the excitement and, and the belief by the front line that you're going to live these values all the time. So, so one of the most important things is we have to be consistent. We have to say, this is what we're about. This is who we're going to serve these are our numbers. Here's how we're doing. We're not doing great in this. We're all going to pull on this to try and get better. So, so clarity on the values and transparency on the, how you're doing makes makes a huge difference. And do you have some examples of uh, either way where you, you well, do you have some examples of, of where leaders have done that really well? And you mentioned, you know, Kaiser and Dignity and obviously Gunderson and others. Yeah. I, well, one, one, you know, I, I can, uh, let me, let me give you a very specific example where it's, Mm -hmm. where it's really hard. And people, this, this relates to almost every leader that's responsible for people. We had, we had a, uh, 
um, uh, a wonderful young neurosurgeon at uh, Gunderson, very capable, very skilled. We measure all our outcomes. His outcomes were good. He was, he was doing some very complicated surgeries. His outcomes were good. He was early in his career, worked uh, one other place, come to us, family had settled in. It was all good. He calls me one morning, says, Jeff, I might be in trouble. I said, why might you be in trouble? Well, I hollered a security guard uh, about uh, putting a ticket on my car. Putting, where were you parked? Well, it turns out he's parked in a fire lane. Um, and I said, it's probably shouldn't park there. And by the way, the ticket doesn't cost you anything. Um, he's just telling you to park in a different place. I know it really ticked me off. I said, why are you in trouble? Well, I hollered at him, told him, you know, he should get a job that's use, useful and uh, that I make more and more, more in a week than he does in uh, months and months. Oh my God. So, so here's, here's the edge of the dilemma. Then he asked me, now you're not going to fire me over something like that, are you? So we all have staff who are high performing in one area, mm-hmm. but struggle in other areas. Mm-hmm. So are you going to live your values? Are you going to have the courage and the discipline to live the values or not? Mm-hmm. Now we're just going to fire the guy because he had a blow up. Well, you know, people get stressed. We all get stressed. Maybe it's a, so that the answer to him was, well, it's up to you. If you choose to apologize to that man, send a note to his boss, because of course it's been 20 minutes, so everybody in the organization knows about it. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and, and then commit yourself to get some training and have some help. We have a whole program to help people, you know, make these, m- make these interactions go much more smoothly. You commit to that. We are happy to have you and we'll work with you day and night to make sure this works. His response was, you know, I put $5 million on the books last year. I said, I know that. And I will miss that. We'll all miss that if you choose to leave. Wow. But, but you need, you need, I can't have you tearing up a nurse at 7.30 in the morning and then she having 11 and a half more hours be upset and potentially make a mistake on a patient. So this is where as a leader, short-term thinking easier, just kind of pat him on the head and say, don't do that again, knowing full well he will, um, but let it go by. Long-term thinking says the long-term well-being of the organization, we, we have to have a set of behaviors. Now, it wasn't a big surprise to him that he had a set of behaviors. We we set him up to succeed. When he applied for a job, he had these set of behaviors, a, a physician compact. Um, when he came and interviewed, it was showed it again. When he When he came for his orientation, he had it again. All these things, here's that you treat everybody with respect, was a part of all those conversations. And we gave him an opportunity to get into some rehab work and and make his behavior better. Yeah. Easier, short-term, to just let him behave badly. Long-term, bad for the patients and bad for our staff. Wow. And so he ended up leaving the organization. And it, and it was it was a loss for us. Is it easier easier? Is it easy to recruit these kind of folks? It is not easy to recruit people with great outcomes. However, in the long term, it was it was um, it was better for our organization. So these these are things that that I know many of the listeners and managed people. These things come up all the time, and it is hard. I, there's no uh, no implication here. This is easy at all. But to lay out ahead of time what's important in the organization, you lay out that everybody has to behave that way. The CEO, all the vice presidents, this is a single 
code of behavior and you say, well, it's behavior. What, what about finance and outcomes? Yeah, well, they're all tied together. They're all tied together. Uh, if you if you, people are distracted by bad behavior, even even innovation, you know, you 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 look at innovation. If these people are worried about who's gonna uh, who's gonna nail them or who's gonna criticize them, those kinds of things, it is it is um, you, you're gonna get a, you can have a less innovative environment. So so it's it's that kind of discipline that we need on a personal basis, and then on the corporate basis in following the values, then you'll start attracting some really bright, capable people. You'll hold on to fabulous people that, that you don't have to beg them to work harder. We had no executive bonuses in our organization. I said, well, I have a bonus. When you have a bonus system for everybody in the organization, the, the upper crust is not going to skim off. You say, well, it sounds like socialism. Well, it isn't. Um, I mean, we, our executives were paid competitive amounts. Um, our staff all had very good benefits. But if you start, the more, the more special, the more protected. So if you protect their behavior, you give them a lot of special, the more special and protected the senior people are, the less special and more afraid the frontline people will be. And you're going to have trouble competing if that's your environment. Wow. That's well said and such a, that's such a great story and great example of the, I think the type of value based leadership you you've been talking about and writing about. Um, and, you know, I would say that um, in my experience over many, many years, that stance that you took is uh, not the one I've seen taken the vast majority of the times. Cause it's there. I mean, you know, it's a great story, but it's very hard to make that the, the way you approached it is not an easy thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I applaud you for that. Well, thanks. It is hard. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mean to apply and, and in every department, every team, you got people that are a struggle and this is, this is hard, but mm-hmm. you know, the loss, you, you lose that person, but if, but you know, silently you could have lost, you leave that person in silently. You could have lost other physicians, PAs, nurse practitioner, nurses, respiratory people that he would have come in contact with. Absolutely. Now you lose, you don't even, you don't measure that the, all these people move on to some other things and you've lost all that talent. And, and frankly, I wanted to keep his talent, but it was his choice. Absolutely. We have many people who once they're confronted with this, in fact, lean into it and become mm-hmm. terrific contributors. So it isn't, mm-hmm. isn't at all a bad outcome like this one. It was, um, uh, many times it works out great. And, and what kind of, when you, uh, and I imagine that people just like I'm doing today with you uh, or seeking your, your expertise and wisdom and advice and counsel, what kind of challenges are, uh, I imagine there are senior leaders uh, speaking to you and asking you questions and, you know, what kind of questions and challenges do people ask you? Uh, and I'm thinking in particular CEOs of, of large systems. Uh, what are the what are the challenges they're facing today that really, um, you, you know, challenge their own value system? Well, I think uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of them. one of the one of the biggest challenges is the disconnect between the senior most people and the and the you know, the vice presidents and, and the directors and, and rising leaders in organization, um, that 
when you when you talk to these two groups, they really have a different view of what's going on in the world and and how their organization is is functioning. Um, and so so the the senior group often will believe things are cruising along fine and they get so focused in um, in um, connecting with each other, connecting with outside organizations that they say, I, I don't. I don't understand why why the rest of the organization is not is not with us on this, mm-hmm. but the rest of the organization sees a whole different world, a whole different set of stresses, um, and and c- cannot be at the same place. So so one of the one of the challenges for the senior most leaders, the senior vice presidents, the CEOs, the CFOs, is to get close enough to the work to understand the challenges, not know the work better than all the staff. You aren't going to get to that, but, but you don't, for example, you don't have to go out and spend a day with every billing clerk in your organization. If you have 200 billing clerks and you as the CEO or the senior vice president, you go out and you sit in a chair next to a billing clerk and you ask them to explain their work to them, explain their frustrations, go out and round with an intention to really understand what's going on, they'll tell the other 200. They'll tell the other 200 that you care, that, you, that you're asking about it. It's, it's not that you're going to give them a raise on the spot or, or, or short circuit uh, their, their manager or director, but the fact that you spent that time to truly understand, whether it's in manufacturing or in, in healthcare, um, it, it is it makes such a difference. And then, and then when you do your video chats with them and when you do your emails, when you send out messages, they are so much more likely going to pay attention to it than if they've never, ever seen anybody from the front office. We, we had uh, eight o'clock in the morning was a time for us to get out of our cubes and go out and walk into the areas where people were doing the work. If you're the head of facilities, you go Go to the facilities areas and see see how they were doing and what. It, so it, uh, often, you know, senior people would say, "Well, uh, boy, you know, I'm my schedule's so full. I I'm too busy. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this." Then I, of course, would say, "Well, let me manage your schedule for a week. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I can find time." And they always turned me down. Right? They always found time. <laughs> but but. I'm I'm saying so so one of the biggest struggles for the 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 senior leaders is how the 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 pace and how fast things are moving but at the same time trying to connect with the with the frontline staff and if you you know I I make fun in my book of the chain of, the the chain of command is uh, usually the weak link in the communication line um you know to to imagine that the complex messages and the genuine caring that needs to be understood from the front office can be transmitted through five or some organizations, seven or nine layers. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told, it's just not going to work. I mean, that just doesn't work. It's not going to work. And so, so, um, um, are are people worried about competition? Are they are, are they worried about, these things, and I guess another yeah. major thing that I would say, Zev, is is that the is this this movement towards um, 
more value-based care, more paying for outcomes, ultimately, hopefully, more paying for the health of the population. Um, it is is one of the things we're, you know, we're so far behind in this country for a couple of reasons compared to other countries in the world in the health of our population. It's not that we don't have super ICUs and and brilliant nurses and and doctors and 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 pharmacists, lot lots of great folks. Um, but we, we we're missing in a in a couple areas. First of all, uh, we don't have global access to healthcare. Um, the emergency department cannot be considered a global access. That 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 might get you when you're really sick. But we certainly don't have global access to health. Yeah. Um, that, you know that's that's really a pretty big problem. And, and we have another thing that's that people might not have thought of that other countries do very well. So, Zev, what are our national healthcare goals? What are our goals on health for the United States? We're spending three and a half trillion dollars. I would argue if you had a business of three million dollars, you would have yearly goals and outcome measures. We have no goals in this country. What are, what are our national goals for children getting immunized, for pregnant women being seen, for seniors getting their their wishes followed? We have no goals. And then and then the system of payment that is the dominant system is a, a pay for doing things rather than keeping people healthy. Um, so we we have there's some pretty easy explanations to figure out why you know we. We, we don't take care of poor people like other places do in the world. Uh, we have an education system. We have an education system that covers everyone for a baseline education, and then you can spend more money to get other educations. We, we don't have baseline health care for everyone. We don't have baseline health improvement measures for everyone. So it's no wonder that our outcomes are less less good. Yeah, that's, that's really um, – I, I was going to ask you what you meant – by the shift from healthcare to health. And I, I think you, you just started, I think you answered that question. It's, you know, and I, and I quite honestly, I hadn't really conceived of, of your message as being at the level you're talking about, but you're really talking about leadership at all levels from, you know, uh, from the head of uh, health and human services and um, the center for Medicare and Medicaid and NIH and CDC and, you know, to uh, payers and provider groups, uh, you're right. We we how how brilliant would it be if we had at the at the national level a set of very clear goals for what we mean by a healthy population, healthy people. Um, you know, there are clearly guidelines. Uh, and various groups and 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 specialties uh, and organizations have certain guidelines, but. Um, but I never really thought about it. We 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 don't have that. I um, and I think it's a real, I think it's a real call and a real challenge to our leadership today. Because what I see is us fixing problems. We're 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 tinkering, right? We're tinkering. I mean, when this, you know, and I and I get it. I mean, it's I'm not I'm not being critical. I mean, there's a lot to tinker with. But you could tinker from now until eternity. And um, and what you're talking about, I, I hear, is a a leadership that gets above the tinkering at least uh, long enough to really set a, a true north, set a destination. And that's what seems to be missing. I, have you had a chance to, uh, Jeff, have you had a chance to talk to 
some of the leaders like Azar right now at HHS or Verma at CMS or to, to share this? Because I think it's a really wonderful message. And, and people may have thought about it, but maybe not now. Well, I didn't. I haven't uh, talked to them uh, yet. I, I would hope to do that. I've, I've certainly talked with uh, the the previous, probably seven secretaries of health and human services, um, uh, and most recently Sylvia uh, Burwell, who was who was fabulous, very smart, very capable. Got a ton of work done, and I and I hope that the next group gets a lot done as well. I I um, I, I, I think when we talk about leadership with this. With this struggle and and this controversy about it, people say, "So what are we going to do?" I mean, I don't know. One of the things that I see leaders doing is they they focus so much on what's the next rule that's going to come out of CMS and 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 try and shift their work depending on who gets paid what for what and and those kinds of things. I um we, we didn't do that. Um, what what we said was we don't know how fast it's going to move. From, from this paying for, for doing things to paying for the health of the community. So let's figure out those things that no matter which way it goes and how fast we're going to do well. So, for example, um, you know, if you improve your quality of, of those patients that you're taking care of, you measure it. And you absolutely nail that. You're going to lower your costs. Patients are going to be healthier. It's all going to be uh, better. If you improve your service, if you lower your cost of doing things, then regardless of whether you are in, in a fee for service or a, or a capitated system, you're going to do fine. Okay. So that I just outlined, you know, get to the top 5% in the country in, in, in quality service and cost of doing things. Yeah, if you if you get that done in a year, then you can call me up and I'll come up with some other ideas. But but the, those things you can either way, either way, how fast this goes, and then you can start working on the community. You don't you don't have to take all your assets and start building housing, but you can partner with so many community members who are, you know, whether it's the county health department or the faith community, um, the the um the the private uh, home health department there's so many people you can partner with to improve the well-being of the people in the you the school systems are looking for it the universities have tons of volunteers there are many examples of people that have done great things there's a there's a new network that has 38 to 40 health systems in it called the health anchor network and they're saying how do we use the assets we have in buying goods we have to buy goods in hiring people we have to hire people in in our investment portfolio we all have savings how do we do that that helps builds our communities more intentionally rather than just by accident and so some of us have been a very good part they have a website just look up health anchor network and and there's some amazing examples from around the country of people that have said we we can boost the well-being of our community by by buying, by making decisions, by by investing in ways we, we are otherwise still there. So I believe one of the important things that, that leaders struggle with is not knowing what direction the payment model is going to go. And it's quite understandable. There's been movement this way, movement that way. Are we going to go to capitated? Are we going to go to partially 
value based, uh, but not. And, and you get into a trap of saying, boy, what are we going to do this year, this month, this quarter? Because CMS is going to come out with a new guideline. And, and it turns out, um, um, it, it turns out that it's, it's, there's a whole lot of things you can do. There's a whole lot of things you can do. In the meantime, and prepare your organization for either direction or how fast it goes. Every one of us have quality improvement activities that we need to move up more quickly and more boldly and not accept our mediocre past. Um, we, we have service improvements that we can do to connect with patients and businesses and schools better than we have in the past. We can lower our cost of care if you set your goals not on staying mediocre, but being the top five percent in quality and service and in the cost of delivering the care, whether you go to an HMO model or it stays fee for service for a while, either way, either way, you're going to be in you're going to be in good shape. It's hard hard to know how fast the two of them um, are going to uh, intersect. But either way, you're going to be fine. So rather than stewing in your juices, you, you need to just take action and go after that. There are, there are many, many opportunities to do that in every one of our organizations. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, 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 again, a great direction and, and great advice. Let me step back for a moment. Um, because we're, we're sort of getting towards the end here, although I, I got a lot, many more questions to ask you. Um, what in, in this in this phase of your career, um, what what do you how would you actually how would you frame what it is you're doing now, and and what is it that you're trying trying to accomplish? What 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 would success look like for you at this point? My my goal now is to teach. I mean, I I want to help uh, folks. Uh, take on this very complex nature of, of transition from healthcare to health to try and um, compete on the things that really matter, not is your margin 3.1 or 3.2% or are you 1% bigger than the guy down the street, but are we really delivering on our promises? If our, if our website and our walls and our buildings say we're going to improve the health and well-being of patients and communities, well, we ought to, we ought to get it doing that. And there's ways to do that. You, you don't have to get set in the, well, we either, we either make money or, or we, or, or, or we take care of the community. You actually can do both. There's a lot of people doing both. So it's not like, it's not like that's a, a reasonable argument. So I, I, I want to teach. I want to inspire people to move on. I, I like working with the next generation of board members or, or rising leaders to to say how do we how do we get from here to there how do we how do we take on chronic disease it's just such a struggle for our communities how do we do that in a way that keeps us a, a viable business model but also serves the greater good of the community and i happen to think those two are very connected and we have many many examples of, of that uh, in our organization, um, you know, after the economic downturn, we worked really hard to not, to not 
delete our staff and have mass layoffs to not uh, ruin any of the local businesses that have supported us. We, we tried to take out waste. We looked for the long term. Uh, the senior team took a bit of a beating um, by the board because we weren't performing quite as well in the short term. But the long term, we did well. And because of rising up to take care of behavioral health patients and rising up to take care of the community businesses and not gouge them with ever-increasing price increases. Um, and when it came to philanthropy, immediately after the economic downturn, we had to build a replacement hospital. We had more million-dollar donors times three than we'd ever had for anything in Western Wisconsin. The community watches and listens. Your staff watch and listen. So what I like doing is teaching teaching people that you can you can live a consistent set of values. You can be bold and courageous about saying, here's how we're going to behave. Here's how we're going to, what's the environment we're going to work in and still compete with anybody. And in fact, I will argue it's the strongest route to competing because you end up with great set of staff. So I think one of the, one of the things leaders have to do in a complex situation like this is we have to have to understand that there's very few all or nothings. That is, that is, we can't say we either do good finances or have good quality, or we have good finances or we help take care of the community. The truth is we can do multiple things. And there's many examples around the country that have shown that we can do that. I mentioned the Health Anchor Network uh, before, uh, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement has many organizations that work with it that shows you can improve quality, improve service, and have good finances while you migrate out into connecting with the community. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you solve all the problems. Are there some healthcare organizations that are working on housing and and uh, food supplements? Of course there are, but everyone doesn't have to do that. There are many many community organizations that you can work with to help build a system of health rather than just having isolated islands of health care. So I think, I think there are many opportunities for you to partner with other folks as well as expand your own horizons. Your own horizons. This will not only help you recruit and retain the best staff, it'll help you find the best partners in the community and, and, it will prepare you and your organization for the future, regardless of whether it stays fee-for-service a little longer or goes to more health-related capitation a little sooner. Mm-hmm. Jeff, what what is at stake here? You know, in your work here, your focus on leadership, um, your teaching, your advising. If if we don't get this right at this moment in history in, in healthcare in the United States and across the globe, if we don't get the right leadership, what, 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 what's at stake? I think the thing that's at stake is, is um, our competitiveness. Um, the, the world is a competitive, uh, smaller place, and there are many rising nations who are working very hard to to develop their own cultures and capabilities. And if we take out 18% of our gross domestic product every year, 
uh, and we focus on, on health care, not even health, it is ultimately, it, it weakens us. It weakens us as a society. We spend money on health care that we could be spending on schools, on, on, um, broadening our education base, on, on, um, preventing the chronic diseases uh, that we uh, talked about, uh, preventing obesity, preventing uh, addictions. There's a variety of things that we could, we can, we could work on instead of just taking care of people after they get really, really sick. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Um, I'm just saying we need to broaden our horizons. And if we do better upstream, we, we won't have to spend as much, um, uh, when people, uh, when, when people get older. So I think, I think our competitiveness is businesses. We've had businesses lose the, leave the United States. Hundreds of thousands of jobs have been reported based on the cost of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that we're not the only ones with good health care. There's other places with quite good health care. That's really, I have to say, that's really profound. I, I think, I, I, you know, this, this trans, transition from healthcare to health, you just, you really reframed it as the idea that we were going to stay in health care alone and not move to health actually represents a major liability uh, for our system, Absolutely. right? I mean, that's... Uh, I, I've never heard anyone come out and say it that way or explain it that way. And I, I just think it's really, really helpful. It um, sounds really, really true. Um, well, I believe it is true. And I, and I think we have, there's a lot of evidence to, to, to support that. And, and it, you know, it's, we, we, it's not like everything in healthcare where it get exported out, but the healthcare that's done here, the more expensive we have it, the less money is for all those other things, businesses being mm-hmm. competitive, job creations, um, uh, the schools, as I mentioned, building infrastructure in our communities, all those things are important. And, and we need, you know, for everybody to do well, everybody has to do well. And, and if we skim off too much for preventable items, we have less for helping, mm-hmm. um, helping people get, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, you know, frankly, there, there's some things that are an embarrassment. I mean, it, our, Infant mortality rate in this country, you know, as a neonatologist, our infant mortality for African American children is terrible compared to dozens of places yeah. in the world. It's not because our intensive care units are bad, it's because our prenatal care is not available. So we have more premature infants. Um, that, you know, there's, there's a lot of public health issues here. Um, that it isn't technology, it's public health that we're lacking and that these other countries, Costa Rica, Finland. Now, Rwanda has public health measures that are comparable to ours, run by a fabulous pediatrician. And she's quite proud to say she spends less than a tenth the money we do in the United States, but her outcomes are comparable. Well, I think this goes back to this seeing the, the the lack or the slowness of moving from healthcare to health as a liability also goes back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, which is that in order to make that shift, one of the things we need to do is actually outline what our goals for health mean. And right, because if you don't yes. do that, you're you're you know you're what are you shooting for? Where are you going? And um, you know the other thing I think about too, and I thought a lot about this is that. Um, if we're going to make this transition from, and again, moving from health to healthcare, I just want to say moving from 
healthcare to health doesn't mean you abandon healthcare. It actually means it becomes part of a large, right? Again, yeah. Absolutely not. But, yes, but I think that absolutely. one of the things that will require this augmentation, if you will, um, is is going outside of the traditional approach to healthcare, seeing health as you've just as you've spoken about and others that it it is going into the social determinants of health, into the communities, into prevention in in a different way than we have in the past. And so it's it's bringing in a different set of skills and different capabilities and different actions. In addition to, not not necessarily instead of, but in addition to what we've been doing. Does that make sense, or right? Oh, it makes complete sense. And the the only thing is that people 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 will all of a sudden panic and say, "Oh my goodness, I you know it's all these. How can I possibly you know fix obesity and arthritis and and heart disease and chronic lung disease? I I can't pop, you know housing and food insufficiency. I mean, I'm a I'm a little hospital or a clinic. How can I do that? But our responsibility is not to fix it all with our current paradigm. Our responsibility is to say, if we're putting ourselves out there, as I believe we should, to include the health and well-being of our communities, then we find partners. There's tons of partners out there that are willing to help. So one is finding partners, and two is using your assets, using your assets differently. We, I mean, I don't expect everyone to be quite as bold as we were at Gunderson. I mean, we, we used our assets to save a company that was leaving town. We bought into this company for 16 months, um, took some of our savings, did that because they were such an important part of the local economy. If they left town, it, it would hurt the economy. And without economic health, you have a lot of s- struggle to get health health. Um, so we, y- you know, you use that we used our assets to show that you can improve the economy, improve the bottom line of the health system, and decrease our environmental footprint all at the same time. So the conventional wisdom that said, no, it's jobs and the environment, and that's just not true at all. There's many examples, people improving the environment and improving their bottom line and improving the local economy. So you can do you can do multiple things. Now some things you know, you're just not going to make money on taking care of seniors. I mean, if you if you do good advanced care planning with seniors, they're they're going to uh, use the statistics are if you offer them more care, less care every time, they tend to choose less care. So if you're in a fee for service world, that means less less funding. If you're in a capitated world, it means you probably do a little better. Mm-hmm. The key is. You should measure, are they getting their wishes granted? Mm-hmm. Are, do they get the care they want and need? And if they are, then, you, then you're good. So, so it's a matter of thinking beyond the immediate walls and, and saying, we can, we can figure out with our partners how to make this work. Yeah. You know, another, uh, as I'm listening to you speak and, and, and kind of thinking about what you said of, again before a few minutes ago, one of the other necessary shifts, I think, to go from healthcare to uh, health is this uh, focus on the consumer, is this idea, you know, this is what I heard when I heard you talking before about the the providers, people inside of healthcare, is that the leadership needs to start to listen 
and needs, needs to understand their internal customers, the providers and staff that are doing the work every day. And I think the same is true what I'm hearing you say about really, you know, getting, getting outside of the four walls and our focus on what we've been focused on in the past to really, to really listen. Now, you don't have to listen everywhere. You don't have to boil the ocean. But whatever you decide to work on, it's going to require a different approach, which is really what I what I label as a consumerist approach, which to me means really understanding who you're trying to serve before you before you do anything. Exactly. And and be convinced of that. And this is part of the board's responsibility for board members and senior leaders. You got to say, what are we about and what are we what are we going to be proud about saying? Here's here's what we accomplish for our community. I mean, you. We, you know, we would frame it uh, uh, constantly. I would, I would constantly mention that, uh, you know, we we have uh, seven thousand employees that we're responsible for. Not that we rule with an iron. We're responsible for the seven thousand employees, uh, five hundred thousand patients, and a billion dollars of the community's money. I mean, we're five hundred one c three. Ultimately, it's the community's money that they're spending on our care and we need to be thoughtful about that and we deliver back to them and say here's i mean think about your your rising leader or or a, a ceo 10 years down the road you're going to say well i was i was uh, i was a good leader i i delivered on my 3.1% operating margin mm. yeah, okay um that's yeah. hardly inspiring um and nothing your grandchildren will be impressed by but if you said i helped Build a coalition of people concerned about not just health care, but the health of the community. And we, you know, decrease homelessness, improved uh, food sufficiency, uh, increase the immunization rate. All pregnant women um, got prenatal care. All veterans uh, had housing and, and adequate care for the things they needed. I mean, you, you start making that list that you can find many partners for. Now that's something that inspires your staff, and frankly, um, the board, uh, the the board should be supportive and excited about leaning into that kind of work, regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's model. that's brilliant. Um, let me do this. I I want to I want to uh, be mindful of the time and and your time, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one one question. Hopefully I can make it the last question. I can't guarantee that, but I'm going to try what, um, you know, your book is great. And I would recommend, uh, current leaders and, and rising leaders, uh, take a look at your book, lead true. Um, what, um, what piece of advice, what concrete advice or direction would you give current CEOs and other senior leaders in healthcare today? And I think you've given quite a bit in the, in the, in the course of our conversation today, but is there something that sort of stands out as you think about the conversations you've been having over the past uh, couple of years? Right. Um, I guess the advice I, I most consistently give is that, um, you can, you can be long-term competitive and successful despite the craziness of the environment by living a consistent set of values all the time with all your staff and your community. That you shouldn't shy away from saying, 
here's what we're about. Here's what's most important. And, and finding a way, you'll find so many partners who will be willing to lean in with you and find a way to help accomplish this outward facing, improve the health and well-being of the community's uh, outlook. So I, I, so I try and give them the courage to, 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 in a disciplined fashion, follow through on this. Uh, at no point do I say it's easy, but really no course is going to be easy. Um, there's people that bounce around every couple of years and, and don't accomplish much, but people that really are, want to lean in and accomplish things, you can live those values. It just takes, takes courage to put the values out there and a lot of discipline to follow through. And, and it isn't always going to go easy. I mean, did I, all the time that I was a CEO, did it all go easy? No. I mean, we had things happen all the time, but, um, and uh, the economic downturn was a, a giant struggle, but, but, um, it sets you up for long-term success and meaningful success. And with that, then you're not in it by yourself. You're in it with another group of people who have the same set of values. And, and that, that's really a, a rewarding uh, a part of your career. Uh, that, was, that was so helpful. Thank you. Um, that's fantastic. Inspiring. I just want to say, uh, for, first of all, uh, I, I want to thank our guests, Dr. Jeff Thompson for being a part of creating new healthcare and, and really bringing us some uh, new ideas and bold solutions. And um, I, you know, I, I can honestly say I am really inspired and motivated and kind of re-energized by this conversation. I, uh, I hope listeners got the same out of it. And, um, and, and Dr. Thompson, again, I, I just want to say, I hope that your message, uh, your teachings, and your your book are are getting to the to the right people, to the leaders in healthcare today. And if there's anything I could do to help with that, you just let me know because I I really support what you're what you're you're doing and and the message that you're putting out there. So and and the outcome you're trying to achieve. So I uh, can't thank you enough. Well, thanks, Zev. I I enjoyed it immensely. I like uh, talking about this topic. Obviously, I have. I'm an old person, so I have lots of stories, but still quite a bit of energy. And I, I like working with, um, with both senior folks and rising leaders. And, uh, if, if somebody has questions, uh, my, my, I have a website that's just jeffthompsonmd.com. And so people can send in, see other things I wrote and, and send in questions that I will be, I'll guarantee you I'll send you an, an answer. So thanks a lot for the time. I appreciate it. Uh, Happy to do it again sometime if you, if you'd like to do that. This is uh, good fun, and uh, I wish I wish uh, wish well to all the all the leaders and the rising leaders that are willing to take on that hard work. So thanks for doing that. Oh, thank you, and I, I'm going to take you up on that generous offer to, to speak again. I, I really mean that. And uh, again, just uh, to all the listeners, I just want to say and and. And Dr. Thompson, what I do at the at the end of every uh, podcast is I I am compelled to uh, acknowledge and uh, thank the the listeners out there who uh, are uh, taking care of uh, patients every day and those who are supporting uh, those folks who are directly taking care of patients because they're doing the the hard work and the critically important work. And I think your message in particular about augmenting that and expanding that is is uh, so pertinent and so important. So so thank you to the to the listeners and, uh, and Dr. Jeff Thompson can't thank you enough. No, you're quite welcome. Thank you.